1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network.
2: Happy Friday, everyone. I'm not muted today. (laughs) So you're watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if you're listening to The Hash, you're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. It's Friday. We have a jam-packed show today. David Morris is joining us. We have Will Foxley and Zach Seward, who has our first story.
0: You used to call me on my cell phone. Like oh that. Like oh that. Nice. that. You going. There you go. Shout out to Drake it's on that quite, one. Two negative stories, friend. Slow your roll. Here we go. We're talking about the Solana phone. This was announced yesterday in New York, loosely pegged to the NFT NYC experience. And Solana is building a blockchain phone. It's going to be called Saga. And they are excited about rolling this thing out early next year. It's going to cost about a thousand bucks. Pre orders now for about a hundred. And one of our talented reporters found a data set suggesting that about 1,300 people have put pre orders in. So it's interesting to see that there is some tepid demand, at least after this major unveiling event yesterday in New York City. Now, of course, we've seen blockchain phones before, famously in 2018 and subsequently, but now here we are in 2022 the dream of the web3 phone just won't die i'm gonna throw this straight to will for his initial thoughts on the saga it's pretty interesting you you brought up the 2018 development of the syrian labs they had
1: a phone that did not work out super well i don't think it ever shipped and there's been a few other ones right the htcl or something like that launched some sort of bitcoin integration with their phones haven't really seen like a use case for them right like it's nice to have that sort of stuff but it doesn't quite make sense The thing that a lot of people have tried to move towards is having your phone be a node, right? The ability to have all the blockchain data for any blockchain on your phone. Typically, people try to do this with Bitcoin because Bitcoin has a lighter blockchain in terms of like the data it can store. So that has been one that I think, again, that HTC uh, team tried to develop. Doesn't really go anywhere, though. A lot of people don't care about this. I know the Ethereum 2 team where there's a few... Ethereum 2 teams have been trying to develop this as well. They've even built uh, specific staking protocols that enable you to stake on your phone natively and run the entire chain from there. Again, it's really, really difficult. So the question for this project is, is it going to have a lot of integrations that Solana needs for this phone to be both a full node and use the Solana network? Of course, we don't quite know that yet. The amount of gigs on this phone suggests that maybe it's possible. It's like over 500 gigs, which is a lot. Solana also uses a lot of data, so maybe it can't do that. The last thing is like, do you need a Web3 phone to use Web3 products? And for the most part, so far, it doesn't seem that you do need a Web3 phone, right? We have a lot of Web3 apps that you can use on your iPhone. Rainbow.me, shout out to them. Great little iPhone app. MetaMask even has a pretty functional Web3 app for your iPhone. So lots of projects. Yeah, it's a little iffy, it's a little iffy. I have used it successfully though. There's products out there that already exist for Web2 that are Web3 native. I don't quite understand what the point of a Web3 phone is besides Solana being like, hey, we want to jump into this. This could be fun. i going to throw it down to you, Jen.
2: Yeah, so number one, Zach, I think that Solana needs to hire Drake to be an ambassador for this phone. Maybe that's how we get the mainstream adoption. Well, to your point, I think in the future, yes, a web3 phone makes sense. We talk so much about decentralization, being privacy forward, we have some of the applications, but we don't really have the hardware that can really stick behind that kind of privacy forward, decentralized ethos of web3. So I think for the future, yeah, this is really great. I'd be really surprised if Apple and Samsung aren't working on their own version. Um but I th- think the problem we have now is nobody really wants this like 1300 people okay making a device like this is really expensive to create then it's expensive to obtain it's a thousand dollars and we still need our normal web two phones to do normal life things like send emails and access all of the web two applications that are fully integrated into our lives so i can't imagine you know people carrying around two phones i know there are some people who do that And so I think that maybe there's going to be a little bit of a struggle here when it comes to adoption and keeping it afloat, but I guess we'll have to wait and see, David.
3: Yeah, so I I do think, and I, I didn't see it, but presumably there is some hardware element to this that will at least try to provide some additional security. But if I was a Solana user or holder, which I'm not anymore, I would sort of be hoping that they would build something else, which is a gosh darn fee market so that the chain doesn't go down all the time. That's the real issue here is like, why are they building this phone that apparently seems to be leveraging the branding or even particularly built for use on a chain that's unstable? I don't really get this as a strategy, except as a way of distracting from the problems that the system continues to have to this day. You're building your house on a foundation made of sand, and that does not usually end well.
0: Zach, talk to me I'm ripping off tweets. I'm ripping off tweets today. So I'm going to rip off a Great Will Foxley tweet from yesterday in which you know the solana lab ceo and he was a former engineer at qualcomm right so he has long been fascinated by the mobile phone space and i think will foxley was saying that it kind of appears as though they launched this base layer to finally reach the dream state of making a phone that can compete with the giants of telecom so uh shout out to ws foxley on twitter.com for that one because that was funny but it is Give interesting to see them sort of pivot to this this project. I mean, I guess the vision is interesting, right? You know, I don't think that the big boys are going to be doing this anytime soon to kind of uh, go on the other side of of the gen take. I don't think Apple is going to be building in Web3 features into its devices anytime soon. Just start from the presumption that this phone fails, right? But it is sort of this alternate timeline parallel universe in which device makers build some of these Crypto features, you know, enhanced key protection, stuff like that. Uh, Native apps that can do financial things on your phone into a device itself, rather than doing what we see now among the incumbents. But hey, we just have to see this one pan out. Who knows? Who knows what's gonna happen? Will I got to give it to you for the last thought on this one?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I was just sort of messing with Anatoly there on on this project because it is a little funny with like all the Solana disruptions we've seen, where the chain has gone down multiple times this year, and it's like. Dude, you kind of have a lot of other things to work on besides launching a phone. But innovators are going to innovate. Entrepreneurs are going to do their thing. They're going to build these projects. And oftentimes, we do see people who build these interesting projects go into other things, right? Metallic is well known for his famous blog posts. He, he writes quite a bit. He travels quite a bit. You know, these people have interests outside of blockchain. So I can't quite fault them for that. I am interested to see how this phone continues to develop alongside Solana going to the bear market. Hopefully Solana can also address some of its issues. But we'll kick it to the next story. I actually don't know who's up next.
3: Yeah, Captain Schadenfreude. Coinbase has been downgraded its corporate debt by Moody's. And I was actually mostly surprised that their debt was already so badly rated. Apparently, they got bumped down from a BA2 to a BA3. And I'm not a corporate debt expert, but my recollection is that A is actually still what's considered good debt. So they were already B graded. And now they're even further down in that B category, and uh, you know the reasoning is pretty obvious. Uh, crypto is down; their revenues are way down. They laid off a bunch of people. The the good news is, and, and maybe this actually went into the thinking, or or some you know premonition of this went into the thinking around their layoffs, because it means it's going to be very difficult for them to borrow additional money if they need to, or at least much more difficult than it was before. The good news is that for them as a company, they have uh, about two billion dollars in debt, but they have about $6 billion in cash on hand. So it's not exactly a dire situation, but it is certainly not great. And I also think that this points to a larger issue, which is these credit rating agencies are built on sort of linear models of what's going to happen in the future based on what's happening right now. And this is another instance, I think, of Coinbase having this extremely cyclical business that uh, just doesn't work entirely with a lot of the ways that public companies are evaluated right now. And, and this is another small and interesting example, but also in general, I, I don't think Coinbase is a good company. So a little validation there, there for me. Jen, you're laughing, so you get to talk.
2: I was just thinking, David, when are we gonna hear you be optimistic about something on this show? I can't wait for that time where you're excited to talk about something, you just stand behind a project. I don't know when that's going to no, be. But you really have
1: always it. have so much enthusiasm for NFTs and metaverse stuff. So we, we can't yeah. compare to that enthusiasm. It's <laughs> no. just a different level.
3: Okay, this is, a, this is a tangent, but it's an important one because this is actually, this is self-protection oh, no, what me, started? right? When somebody is always <laughs> negative. Nobody actually listens to them. So this is me, like, not being a target. As soon as I start saying anything positive about anybody, people will... St- start taking what I say mm. seriously. Um, but no, I, there are things that I like. So anyway, Zach.
2: Okay, good, I, good. Well, I, I can I can pick it up really quickly before you toss it up to Zach. Oh, so the sure. report said for future ratings, they're gonna look at the company's ability to reduce expenses while maintaining effective operational control, development of crypto regulation, and the ability to retain talent. So reading this, the layoff started to make sense to me. What I thought was interesting was one of the recommendations is, to diversify revenue by developing new revenue streams, not tied to trading volumes or crypto prices without adding risk. And so I yep. thought that was interesting. I mean, we saw FTX US uh, start offering just traditional stock trading. We've seen Binance enter into a strategic partnership with Forbes. And I think we're going to see exchanges start to look kind of outside of just crypto, especially during the bear market and look at how they can diversify some of these risks. And so that's of what I took away while reading the report, but Zach, off
0: to you. I think David's opening point was really salient, right? That Wall Street is having a hard time establishing a framework for how to value these companies, right? That linear thing doesn't really work with crypto cycles, and it's hard to see sort of the discordance between, I think, what people in the industry see these companies ultimately doing versus what analysts who are now paying attention to them professionally see them doing, right? Uh, one can imagine a scenario three years from now where Coinbase is riding high on the next bull cycle, right? That isn't really assessed here because clearly we're in the depths of a bear cycle. So it's going to be interesting to see, I think, if sort of uh, the analytics class on Wall Street, as more of these companies go public and sort of enter the equities conversation, if that group of people can start analyzing these things through a bit more of a crypto lens. Because I think, yeah, things look really bad sort of from a linear perspective to David's point from where we sit now. But if we're to assume that, again, this weird physics of the Bitcoin price cycle, is to play out again in roughly four-year cycles from here on, or at least into the medium term, how does that factor in to where you're pricing this if you have a bit of a longer-term appetite for investing in some of these companies? David, I'm going to toss you to because I saw your hand. Yeah, just
3: one small point, which is the other aspect of that sort of limit to Wall Street analytics is, you know, when you look at this Moody's Note um, or when you look at basically any discussion of Coinbase, there's very little attention paid to like crypto fundamentals, to the question of like, is any of this stuff that they're selling actually going to pan out? Um, and so it, it, it's it's in layers, right? And if you're looking at Coinbase, you have to look both at Coinbase and just at like crypto as a technology and the promise of this stuff. And they're just not positioned to do that on Wall Street. And, and I think that so that adds to the challenge. Will you have uh, something to chime in?
1: Yeah. The the one thought I have is there's like a really interesting difference between how Wall Street looks at things and then how crypto native people look at things Wall Street's looking at this debt they're looking at their books or cash flow stuff like that and then crypto is looking at like the product itself and I see so many products and critiques of coinbase's product stack and I'm wondering where those two things converge they seem to be like very different conversations and from a crypto native standpoint like the crypto stuff matters more to me right I want to be able to use a product and I want to be able to show it to people and that makes sense to them immediately but that conversation only slowly bleeds into the finance side, right? So Coinbase has been doing Mm -hmm. really, really well, did really well last year, but we're starting to see like a few chinks in the armor and they're being degraded on their stock price because of that. I'm wondering where those two things really conflate. Hopefully Coinbase can turn around. I'm a huge fan of any large firm, especially in space that can like pull it around and fix their corporation problems. Like I think that's huge. It speaks to the maturity of crypto moving forward. But at this point, like I'd kind of see, expect more of the same, right? Especially going into the bear market. But I'll leave it there.
2: We are going to talk about Cryptoys now. So this company called Cryptoys raised $23 million from A16Z, Dapper Labs, and Mattel. This is a digital toy platform, and they say that they are reimagining what toys actually are. Their goal is to bring NFTs to kids in the form of playable avatars, which can be sold and traded as NFTs. And I just kind of imagine little Barbies and Bart Simpsons roaming around in the metaverse. <laughs> Zach, what do you think of Cryptoys?
0: Hate the name. Got to change the name. <laughs> Hate the name. Crypto is scary. That's why they rebranded to Web3. Come on. They didn't get the memo <laughs> on this one. Not crazy about the name. Change the name and then we'll talk. But sure, interesting that A16Z still believes in this and they're backing this in a big way right i think uh this is sort of i guess broader like in the web3 gaming category really but for maybe a younger audience so it's interesting to see that this is pretty hefty round uh here in the bear market obviously these deals come together over time but it's interesting that this is being announced here broadly in the web3 gaming conversation and for a younger audience if it works it works i mean i think bringing uh like established IP to, you know, the blockbuster motion picture business has been a winning formula. Doing the same for online with a new path toward monetization could similarly be a winning formula. But first, I got to ditch that name, Crypto. Will, I'm tossing it to you. I'll give it to David first and I'll follow up after him.
3: Yeah, Jen, you call me such a such a party pooper, but I actually like this quite a bit. Unfortunately, I did just see uh, the phrase play and earn, which I I do not like, but we'll set that to the side for one moment. We'll have to see exactly what they're doing here. Um, It seems likely that they're kind of building their own metaverse. Does anybody see anything to that effect? Either way, even if they're building their own metaverse, but then they're introducing these assets, the interesting part of this is that these assets can then be interoperable with other, other platforms, other systems. And it does raise a lot of really interesting questions about like if you buy one of these and then it is transferable to another ecosystem, are there going to be intellectual property issues if it's, for example, using similar art or just making it like sort of look like a Barbie in a different platform that's not owned by mattel so those are those are challenges, but I think they're very interesting challenges and the the as Zach said, like the the gravitational pull of something like this is, is immense I, like I grew up with mostly like He-Man, which is a Mattel or I can't remember where that's Mattel toy. Anyway, people really connect with toys emotionally and you want to have that like experience online. This really seems like a winner and, and it's it's great to see uh, mainstream companies getting involved. Um, and, and it also another final point is that because it's on the Flow blockchain, which is also what NBA Top Shot uses, it just expands the, the, the case for Flow, which also in turn potentially expands like, security and decentralization i don't know that much about the design of flow but uh it's always better to see more stuff happening on a on a chain so uh so that's always good will go ahead and take it
1: yeah i'll pick up actually where you left off there with the flow blockchain Flow's kind of been under the radar ever since that nba top shot reveal which did really well right there was at one point it was billions that can correct me if i'm wrong but some of these cards themselves are going for millions and then the total value of the entire chain i think the volume was getting into the billions. So, Did really well. Uh, For whatever reason, it just like did not work that well afterwards. Like it had like a two to three month pump and then it just almost flatlined. I still see some people talk about it. I've even seen uh, NBA top shots and like a mainstream commercial for an NBA game. So it's out there, which is cool. And maybe the flow blockchain can get its groove back a little bit by adding more partnerships. These partnerships are expensive though, right? $23 million is a hefty chunk of change beats the Gucci story from yesterday by a few multiples. Throwback to that one. Shout out, Gucci. Uh, But I think it's worth just like noting that whenever you're making these partnerships, money is changing hands and it becomes expensive to do that, right? I think for a lot of these chain builders, you'd rather just have people natively adopt your platform, right? And just like move right over to it. Uh, Here, they're having to, to raise some funds it doesn't seem like flow is really involved well i guess dapper labs is involved here so it's difficult to see exactly where the money is changing hands but for a lot of these other chains let's go to like a different nft project you would probably just see them choose that platform because it's scalable or because the developer tools are really easy to use or because it's just known by everybody else Uh, but whenever i see money involved these sort of things i start asking a few questions zach i'll throw it to you
0: it is interesting It is interesting to see Mattel, big old toy brand, starting to think about this stuff more seriously. We've seen other sort of toy experimentation in the Web3 space with NFTs and whatnot. So I think, you know, again, seeing the metaverse and the NFTs broadly as sort of the next way to connect with an emerging generation of consumers is something that's happening. And I think to your point, Will, Flow is kind of emerging as that corporate intellectual property chain, right? You got the NFL there. That was their big uh, sequel to the NBA project. You've got, you know, WNBA. I think UFC is on there in some capacity. So you have these big brand names who are bringing over, you know, legacy IP and tokenizing it in a way that is comfortable to them and works pretty quickly and pretty cheap in terms of transaction stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see if Flow continues to win that race. I think other chains are kind of in the same conversation, right? Like Solana would probably love to have some of these big corporate brands represented as NFTs on their network. And they've sort of made some inroads in making that happen. But the fact that Flow keeps winning these big names, I think, is also notable
3: towards what Will said about the, the crash of Top Shot, I think that we need to start thinking about these in different terms than they're going to be worth a million dollars a piece. And the entry of Mattel really makes that point, right? They're not looking to sell 10,000 things that cost $500. They're looking to sell 10 million things that cost $5. And that has to be the frame for mass adoption. And maybe there's some market action where those things become worth $20 or $30 or $100. We, I think we absolutely have to dispense with this idea that an NFT is going to be worth a million dollars ever, with a very few exceptions. And I, and I think that they're going to be looking for, for that more democratic, widespread model with this. And, and I think it'll be increasingly common. So that was my last comment. But I think... Uh, here, here. Who has the next story?
1: I, I got it. it. Let's play a game. Where in the world is Suzu and Kyle Davies? Well, they're not in Dubai. So the only 3 capital we know of in Dubai is an air conditioning company and not the mega hedge fund that blew up two weeks ago. Zach, I'm going to throw this one over to you for your take on it. Really interesting and great reporting from Sam Reynolds following up on 3O's Capital, saying they were based in Dubai, but none of the paperwork was there.
0: I'm here for the where in the world is Carmen Sandiego illusion, and I would ape in hard to any NFTs that are produced in the (laughs) Carmen Sandiego canon. So just FYI, speaking to emotional attachments to old games slash toy brands. That one needs to be stated. Thank you, Will. About the story itself, this is a fantastic little find, right? You know, Three arrows Capital sort of made it known uh, through some CoinDesk reporting, actually, that they were in the process of moving to Dubai, and then according to statements made publicly on stage, that they were also looking to uh, bring in about five billion for some uh, some fresh funding. So the fact that this was in the works, this was announced at the end of April. Obviously, we know what is. Happened in the intervening time period. Uh, clearly, there was the Luna implosion in which 3AC was involved, and subsequently they've faced uh, alleged insolvency and quite a bit of uh, drama and bad headlines. So the time aspect here is important. Even if this was to be in the works, uh, those plans may have been derailed hard by uh, the market condition that they faced, and market condition that they you know abated in its quick quickly deteriorating state so uh the fact that they didn't get this one over the finish line doesn't necessarily surprise me looking at the timing of this but it is always good to consult the public record and to confirm with regulators as to whether or not the stated plans of a crypto company were ultimately followed through upon by the letter of the law and in this instance that doesn't seem to be the case david saw you
3: uh so i'm actually just gonna offer a a theory for the uh question that was posed earlier i think uh Suzu and Kyle Davies are in the trunk of a Nissan that they borrowed from Carlos Gosen in a shipping container on the way to a non-extradition country. That's my theory. But, uh, <laughs> other than that, uh, other than that, I, I don't know what the takeaway is here from this particular piece of news. Um, except that, yeah, like a lot of things that were in progress are not going to happen. Uh, I think I saw Jen's it. hand before Wills. Oh yeah. Jen's I just Crawford. have a
2: quick, well, little, little tidbit to add to Zach, what you were saying in the story, it says it actually only takes four to five days to to register a company in Dubai. And so while the timeline was tight from when they announced it till what happened, it wouldn't mm-hmm. have taken that long if they were actually in the process mm-hmm. of of doing this. And so makes you think. But will?
1: yeah, I mean, Suzu is well known for counter trading his Twitter following. And I guess that applies also to where he's going to live. Right. So he, he famously Fudded Ethereum back in November, 2020, and then his firm bought a bunch of it during the preceding dip. Seems like it did the same thing with Dubai, right? They talked about Dubai, like all of this last spring, they're all about Dubai. It's the best place for digital assets. We're gonna move there. And then they didn't even move and it seems that they're still in Singapore and trying to figure out how to get themselves out of this hole. There's a lot of new information coming out about 3 Arrows Capital right now. Uh, I know there's supposed to be a podcast, I think coming out this morning, from uh, Castle Island Ventures talking about hmm. what is happening with Three Heroes Capital. And I expect there to be some awesome CoinDesk reporting and maybe even some like big leagues, Wall Street Journal, New York Times profiles about these two guys who ran a $10 billion hedge fund into the ground. Zach, quote too.
0: unquote, quote unquote, allegedly, they'll allegedly, they'll get there. The Wall Street Journal just said their big dough quant piece. All right. I will say that that podcast is really good check it out uh it's called on the brink with castle island uh and they go into uh some spicy uh allegations at the very least and some interesting details about uh the root of 3AC's problems so really interesting piece if you want to go check that out it's a good podcast if you want to dig deep into this topic but yeah uh 3AC man it's it's the contagion is real we're seeing this play out with voyager most notably uh, I think there was a report from the Wall Street Journal not too long ago this morning saying that FTX was in the process of potentially acquiring parts of the Voyager, Voyager digital business. So yeah. this all stems from you know some loans. And I think uh, the way that 3AC played this one, as conveyed in the, uh, the podcast, is they were trying to hit home runs. And sometimes when you try to hit home runs, when you're down bad, sometimes you strike out. And it appears that they took on some pretty staggering risks to hit a grand slam, and they did not hit that grand slam. Will, back to you for your last thought. Yeah, wasn't there a report this morning that
1: FTX is looking at getting a share in BlockFi? Also, I saw that right before we jumped on. So it seems to be that there's going to be some consolidation out of the contagion we saw over the last yeah. few weeks. There's some buzzwords for you, David. Throw it to you for last take.
3: I was just going to say they didn't necessarily use this language themselves, but a lot of people refer to Three Arrows as a hedge fund. At the same time, we have Arc from Kathy Wood, which is also a hedge fund, and. Uh, I feel like people have forgotten that the point of a hedge fund is that you hedge and not take these big swings and try and have consistent returns in all market conditions. Where you're wrong, so I think The, the, the <laughs> definition of that term, uh, I think, it's lost all meaning at this point, and it's just about gambling. Um, so uh, maybe that's where we stop.
1: Hedge fund means levered
0: long. That's what it means these days. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what blows up over the weekend and then we'll convene here on Monday. You guys are ready? To get back together on Monday and we'll uh we'll take an accounting of what has transpired in the world of crypto that never sleeps. It's not nine to five, it's not Monday through Friday. It just never sleeps. It's always on. Anyway, that's it for the show today. It's Friday. We appreciate you being here. And if you're checking us out on the podcast network, we also appreciate you being there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for being here. Have a great weekend. Bye. Take care, everybody. Bye.